I'm Morgan Tioka. This is the Challenge Her podcast. This is the Challenge Her podcast. Hi guys, it's Morgan Tioka here, your host of the Challenge Her podcast. I'm here today with a special guest and one of my dear friends, Chelsea Forkin, who is an Australian Olympic softball player and has just recently returned from the 2021 Tokyo Olympic Games. Forky, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Morgs. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Um, I've known Chelsea for quite a long time. And it was really cool because I sort of straight away when I was thinking of who could I get on the show, definitely Fox was one of my main people that I wanted to get on the show because I know a lot about her and her story and the adversity that she has overcome uh, over, you know, her life and then getting into elite performance and elite sport. And I really respect you. Um, So I just want, I guess, you to just give them a bit of an insight on who you are and where you are now and then we might track back as to where you came from. Yeah, sure. I'll give it my best shot. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. It's just like a conversation and Yeah, cool. Um so just from the very beginning? Yeah, go for it. All right. So I grew up in Perth. Um and I was always really into my sports. Um I have an older brother Nick. Um and me and him were always playing a lot of sport. Um, we grew up in a really cool little area and, um, yeah, we both started playing t-ball as youngsters. Um, he's six years older than me, so I kind of always got dragged along to his sport <laughs> um, as a young one. Um, yeah, so most of the time you would find us down – at the local T-ball park. Um, we grew up in Cardinia in Perth and down the road from our house was a, a park and, yeah, we'd always be down there kicking the soccer ball or riding our bikes. Um, so ne- yeah. you were never really inside, hey, because, like, technology wasn't really a thing, I guess, when we were younger. No. Always sort of outside playing. Yeah, so, like, you know, we rarely... Yeah, we're inside doing anything inside. It yeah. was mainly like playing on the basketball hoop in the with the dri- on the driveway. Um, yeah, rollerblades up and down the street. <laughs> How uh, good were yeah. those days? <laughs> those were the days, <laughs> weren't they? Yeah. Um, so yeah, really fond memories growing up, just being around, being yeah, keeping active and yeah, mucking around in the neighbourhood. Yeah, and it was always just like t-ball or baseball growing up um I yeah so I started out playing t-ball um and really loved it I think I had pretty good hand-eye coordination from a young age um so anything with a ball or a bat or you know like tennis racket hockey stick um yeah anything I always gave everything a go but it was t-ball um and I tried soccer um for a year and I think I did basketball for about Four years, and so I ended up playing basketball and t-ball on a Saturday, mm-hmm. and it got to, I think I was about eight or nine, and those two sports started clashing, and Mum was like, uh, "Pick one, <laughs> I have to pick one." <laughs> yeah, fair call. <laughs> um, and that was actually like, I kind of wanted to do both, but I think I chose to stick with soft, um, with t-ball because I think I liked it a bit better. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed hitting the ball and throwing the ball. and Yeah, and then you ended up in the boys' team growing up. Yeah, so I progressed, progressed through T-ball and all like the rep teams for that. Um, and then I ended up playing baseball when I was 12 um, in a boys' team. It was, it was mainly boys playing back then, yeah. even T-ball. Um, there was a, like I was only ever really like one of two girls in the team. Mm. Um but yeah, ended up playing, um, trying out for a junior boys, um, the, the WA under-14s team. Um, and that was, back then that was, there was not a lot of girls playing like baseball with yeah. boys. Yeah, of course. Um, so to make, yeah, to make that under-14s WA team, uh, I was the first girl in WA to do that. 
So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's very exciting. Um, yeah, so I think that just gave me a lot of confidence as a young kid and a young yep. girl, especially mixing it with boys, um, you know, and they respected me and I was kind of just one of the boys. Yeah. Yeah, growing up. Um, but yeah, that that definitely gave me a lot of confidence as a young young girl growing up. Yep. Um, and I never really did things in halves. Like I was very, I was always very determined. I was always very focused and I, I enjoyed working hard. Um, you know, these days I see a lot of kids that really struggle with that. Mm. They, they can't quite grasp that concept of working hard. They, you know, some kids, not all kids, but a lot of them take a lot of shortcuts. I was never like, I was like always very rigid. Yep. Yeah. Was do you think that that came from um, your mum or dad? Like, would, did they ever sort of demonstrate any behaviours where, you know, sort of uh, that role model or even Nick? Um, no, not like I don't think. I wouldn't say I got it from my anybody. Mom or dad or no, I don't actually know where I got that from because it's quite an innate um, thing that yeah. you develop. Um. I think um, just I think a personality trait, maybe just a personality trait. Yeah, um, yeah. So then from there, so to sort of give everyone an understanding, so baseball was sort of your, it was like your go-to sport when you sort of got into that, you know, young adolescent, sort of twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, age um, group. Yeah, it was like, yeah, year six, year seven, year eight. Yeah, the, the sort of progressing into that early the high school ages. Yeah. Um, yeah, but back then, like, sport was a, a – I would say it was – like, I loved it and I enjoyed it and I knew I was good at it. Um, but, yeah, it was a bit of an escape as well. Like, um, my – I come from a split family, so when I was – I think I was eight, yeah, my mum and dad split up. Um, and that wasn't, I mean, at the time, like you don't really know what's going on as a young kid. Yeah. You see, I saw things and, you know, I was around a different environment, um, from a lot of my friends, but, um, yeah, sport was going and playing baseball and going to training was what I always looked forward to. Um, I, I enjoyed going to school a little bit, but, um, yeah, it was more about getting down, getting to training and yeah. that was a big big escape yeah definitely yeah and then growing up so how did you end up transitioning into softball yeah um funny story it it was just like I was always someone that thought I would never get into softball but um I've always been open-minded yeah so um by the time I was 15 I'd I'd achieved quite a bit for that someone of that age like Mm. I'd um like represented um WA in a state under 14s team I'd um then went to the Australian women's baseball nationals as a 14 year old and then ended up making the Australian women's baseball team and we traveled to the USA and Canada. No, I don't think it was the USA. I think it was Canada. Um, and, yeah, so I'd, I'd achieved quite a bit at, as a young girl. Um, so, um, well, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> How did you transition into softball? Yeah, that's, that's okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I... There was – I kind of felt like I'd – what's next with baseball? Yeah, fully. Because there isn't anything, is there? You can't Not go anywhere else. Not well, really. Well, you can now, but yeah. then you couldn't. There was – it was li- pretty limited back then. Mm. Um, so it was just a mate of mine at school. Um, yeah, she asked me, did I want to come down and play some club softball? And I was like, oh, not really. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, and I kind of kept kept it in the back of my head. But, um, yeah, eventually um, – oh, that's right. We were also playing softball at school. 
like for rep, the inter-school thing, team. And so I, um, yeah, I started playing there. I was like, oh, this is actually not that bad. <laughs> All the softballers would hate me for saying that. <laughs> but, but that's like that's like cricketers. So I've had two cricket friends. I'll never forget. This is junior softball, like under-19s schoolgirl stuff. Yeah. But two cricket friends – um. Cat and Emerald, who played cricket, which is same like male dominant sport. Not many females were in it back when I was, you know, under nineteens. Came across to softball, and their hand-eye coordination because the ball's so much smaller and like the spin off the ground. It was like happy days because they're like the ball's not coming off the ground. Like I get to see it coming straight at me. How good's this? (laughs) And one of them made, I'm pretty sure Shadow that year, one made Queensland for softball. Amazing. Right? Yeah. And that, that, But that's like similar to you where, you know, smaller ball, so you've got to be a little bit sharper with the eye. No, that's not saying softball isn't hard. Like I totally failed at that sport. But like, <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, they were sort of, I guess, like you. So I understand that. Well, I yeah, I mean – I get that and the, the sports are so transferable as well like you know cricket small ball bat yep. yeah baseball small ball bat and then softball's bigger ball you know it's yeah it's easy to see easy to see I guess so I the only thing I really struggled with early on was just laying off the rise ball yeah um because obviously in baseball the the pitch of the ball is coming from a completely different angle yes um trajectory so it's always dropping just reading yeah reading the the spin of the ball and the pitch um levels and that type of thing yeah yeah um so I ended up getting into softball just through school um and uh I think word got around that I'd I joined um the local softball league and an opportunity came up to um to join the waste program for softball um the, he- the head coach of that program approached me and asked me to come down and, um, yeah, I, I guess I got talent ID'd yep. from, from baseball and, um, yeah, the, uh, the rest is kind of history. I just joined and finally I was a part of, um, you know, a program where I was immersed in uh, this cultural family of people that all wanted to achieve the same thing as me and that was to get better skill-wise, um, to be able to have the opportunities pr- to perform at an elite level, like in an elite competition. So we were like travelling interstate, yeah. playing in, um, they were called Grand, P- Gr- Grand Prix back then. Um, so just there was so much opportunity. There was strength and conditioning, like yeah. working out at the institute, training three nights a week. Um, and that's where you've met most of your really – like close, you'd say close friends. Yeah, lifelong friends. Yeah. Yeah, like um, being a part of that waste softball squad, you know, it transferred into the WA Open Women's team. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we built our, built our culture um, on friendship and family and camaraderie and, you know, like a sisterhood. So that's kind of where I've learned all these amazing skills that I can transfer into other parts of my life, like teaching, um, you know, and and being able to pass that knowledge on is something really, really cool, uh, something that I could – I wish that I could do more of. What do you think uh, – this might be a bit of a left-field question, but what do you think are some of the clear traits that you have or behaviours that you have um, learnt over time that you think if I didn't – get the opportunities to be involved in a high-performing academy like WACE, I wouldn't have had the behaviours or the personality traits to then be able to transfer those skills across into other areas of your life. And the reason why I ask this is because at the moment in schools, what we're finding is when our footy um, kids, so girls and boys, go to get on the field, they're processing in their minds is I'm a great footy player this is who I am this is my identity I'm not like a 
separate person. Therefore, when I go into the classroom or when I go and meet people outside my comfort zone, oh, no, no, I can't do this because this is where I perform at a high level. Instead of thinking I'm a high performer, these are the behaviours I demonstrate. Therefore, it's a behaviour. I can transfer that into any environment that I choose. So, like, what would be the ones that you'd say, okay, over time in, you know, sport that you've gone, you know what, I have this trait and thanks to this I've become really good at? Um, well, the first and foremost it would be team teamwork, yeah. like working with different personalities, um, yeah, different personality types, like – um, in a team environment, there it's made up of so many different people, definitely um, different from all different walks of life, and everyone has their own um, sets of values and um, beliefs and um, and that type of stuff. So I think being able to work with different people and understand their perspective on how they do what they do is yep. really important, um, and being um, I guess open to learning about them and and sharing stories and you, you know sharing vulnerabilities that's how you get you know that's how you get really close with people and and um get the i guess the friendships going and the Definitely. trust yep. um so yeah it leads to just being yeah being a good teammate and um and valuing people and valuing value, valuing what they're about as a person. So I think that and then probably, um, you know, like you've it's all about hard work, I guess, mm, when you, you're working um, in a team and any successful person will tell you that their success is – you don't just get success. Like there's a, a thing that you have to do and that it's hard work. You have to be dedicated to your cause and, you know, you have to persevere if you, um, you know, you hit a roadblock or something. Definitely. You know, I think it's really easy and I see it at school sometimes is, you know, kids struggle when they face a problem, they, they just kind of give up. But it's about, you know, okay – this is really hard right now, but what can I do to change the way I'm thinking about this? How can I get through this? Definitely. So it's being able to, I guess, have that... That perseverance. That perseverance yeah. about what, what, it, what it is you're doing and how you want to improve. Um, so, yeah, the teamwork, the, the hard work, um, learning about different people... Um, what would you say has been your hardest um, or your the, the, the main trait you've had to work on in regards to being an elite athlete or being a high performer on the field? What do you believe is like the biggest behaviour or, yeah, characteristic that you've sort of had to really – it doesn't come naturally to you and you've had to really work on that's – to be able to be that person, to be a good teammate and to be a good leader in that space? I think um, for me, yeah, it's probably been having being able to have perspective um, and understand other people um, because, you know, you can be a really good player and a really good teammate but if you're playing, if every individual in a team doesn't get along, then you're, you know, you're not going to be successful as a team. You're not going to win. You're not going to create a good culture. Um, you know, you just, yeah. So I think being able to understand other people, but I, I don't, I, I enjoy doing that. So yeah. I'm just trying to think what, what it is that I have had to work on. It's probably, you know, probably one thing that later in, in my career that I've had to really work hard on is, um, you know, like just that self-belief. Yeah. Um, I think when I was young, I, I, I had less fear about just throwing myself into things and I had a lot of self-confidence and I had a lot of um, 
self-belief without even knowing that I did. I just um, I just went about what I did and I played the sport and you never seemed like an overthinker. No, I and a lot of people um, have said that about the player that I am. Um, yeah, so I think yeah later on in my career, um, you know, you you spend so much time in your, in the early days just playing, and you you know. As you get older, you you've got more responsibility in your life, so it's more it's about trying to balance everything. So, you know, um, when I moved to Queensland um, and and lived in Brizzy, I you know I had a lot going on. I was I was um, you know I was working two part time jobs. I was you know um, going to university, um, you know, and and I was training as an elite athlete at the same time. So I had a lot of things that I was trying to manage. And as I, you know, went through university, got my degree, um, got a little bit more grounded with where I was at in, with my career, um, you know, I, I found myself, um, you know, thinking that I had of a lot of time management um, skills. So yeah. I was getting better at that. Um, but I think, yeah, probably in the last five years, I've had a lot of things that have gone on in outside of my sporting career and outside of my, um, my teaching career that have really affected me in quite a, um, a negative way. Um, and that's been really hard to deal with and it's been really hard to shut out. Um, sport has always been an escape for me. So definitely. Um, when things go wrong in your life, like you've got to try and figure out ways to manage that. And I think that's one thing that I've really struggled with. Um, if I'm being completely vulnerable and honest right now. It is tough. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, you, you try, there's only, I think I reached a point where, um, there was only so much compartmentalizing that I could do yep. um, before the issues that I was dealing with were cre- like before I found them creeping into, you know, like my, my headspace when I was at training or my headspace while I was at work or, mm. you know, so you, you, I think I've had to work really, really hard on that. Um, and, um, yeah, I've had some difficult, you know, things happen in the last two years, like my mum passed away, and that was, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was really devastating. Yeah, definitely. Um, and trying to be, trying to be, who you are for everyone around you, and then trying to give yourself a bit of self compassion. Like, yeah, it was something that I really struggled with. Definitely. Yeah, like, you know me well. Like, I'm someone that is always there for other people, always thinking of others. And I think I got to a point where, um, you know, I, I just wasn't looking after my, my own self. Um, so I, once I figured that out, once I had that awareness, Mm. I was able to work on it, you know, and impart some strategies and yeah, but it's, it's just, yeah. If you're not aware of it, how are you going to fix it? Yeah. So it's... Did you become aware because your body or your, like, everything was sort of shutting down or did you become aware because you just had great sort of, you know, close, you know, your marble jar friends, your close support network who you know that no matter what they say, they have your best intention at heart. Um, And so obviously anything honest and harsh that sometimes is hard to hear you at least want to hear it from them. Did you think it was more, was it, or was it a bit of both? Was it just mm-hmm. like everything was just shutting down and you were like something, uh, something's going to give soon and I've got to change? Or was it more like people were going, hey, knocking on the door going, it's There's about time. A bit of both, I think. Yeah, like my partner Tara, who's my absolute rock and, you know, through everything that was going on with mum, like, you know, she always had my best interests at heart. So she she was always in my corner, you know, trying to help me through it. Um, 
and then, I, yeah, it was also me kind of feeling things with my body, like, you know, feeling that frustration come out in other ways, um, you know, like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was just um, a lot of emotion. Um, there's only so much stuff that you can block out, <laughs> you know. And you internalise everything. Yeah, I did. I really did. And that is harmful in some ways, you know, um, because you get to a point where you just, um, you know, <laughs> you you feel your cup yep. with so much yep, and it just overflows. And that's what happened with me. Um, yeah. And yeah, like I'm still, when mum passed away, like I went over to, to Perth to be with her and, um, you know, Mum and I, our relationship has has never been like amazing. It's like I love my I loved Mum and I still do, and um, we've had our differences, and you know, and she's had her struggles, and we've you know I've tried to help her with with those struggles, and yeah, she she ended up becoming very sick. Um, yeah, she had pancreatic cancer, so it was quite a horrible way for her to go, but. Um, regardless of everything that we've been through as a mother and daughter, you know, combo, I would do it. I did anything I could for her, Yeah, you know, and going back there to support her was something that I was always going to do. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, that's a, that's a person you are that goes back to who you are as a person. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, that balance, I guess, for you and, you know, I just I, I think I will always know you really well and you'll always have their best interests at heart. So, of course, you're going to drop everything because you're a caring person yeah. to go back and take care of your mum. Yeah, so, I, yeah, when I went back, I, um, I did everything I could and, you know, I spent some really, really good time with mum, you know, in the lead up to her passing and yeah, I'll cherish that forever and that'll stay with me for the rest of my life um and I think it was a little bit of a healing process as well um but yeah like when someone that you love and care about passes away you never really know what that's going to feel like until it happens and no matter how many people try and say stuff and and help you through it it's just a really personal experience um so coming yeah. Coming back, um, so I didn't mean to cut you off then. No, you're all good. <laughs> Coming back then, I guess, you know, once um, your mum passed here and then sort of having to try and, like, you would have just been like, okay, like, I've got to sort my head out and try and get my brain going, okay, like, Olympics, you know, like, what? how did you handle that? Because it's not like you can just stop grieving and stop dealing with that but at the same time you know this is a one of something you have been looking forward to your entire life and that transition I just I can't imagine how that would have worked in your head yeah I mean I guess to give everyone context um mum was diagnosed with cancer in 2017 um and at the time I was over in Chicago um, playing in the National Pro Fitch, uh, sorry, National Pro Fast Pitch League. Um, and finding out over there was like a, a bit of a shock, you know, like, and I couldn't actually get back at the time to be with her. Um, yeah, um, so she, yeah, so 2017, um, she was diagnosed and then, um, the diagnosis was not the best. Like it was, she needed um, to have a really large operation to, they call it a Whipple surgery where they basically remove her whole stomach. Um, so she had that done and in 2018 in Jan. Um, and so I made the decision to move back to Perth um, to be closer to her, to help her through it. And my partner Tara came as well. Um yeah, so that was a massive life step, life moving us from Brizzy to Perth and 
um, you know, putting our lives on hold to do that. And so I guess fast forward um, a year after that, mum was doing okay and, um, you know, the cancer was still there and she was getting chemo um, um, treatment uh, and so but it, she was kind of we felt like she was kind of out of the woods um, and then 2019 soft, uh, for softball um, we had to qualify for the Olympics so um, that was in China and we went and qualified which is it was like that was huge that was huge for yeah. us like so gone from a massive kind of like low of um you know mum getting sick and me and Tara moving our lives back to Perth and it was it was chaos like really if I look back and <laughs> reflect <laughs> like, the things you do right um but yeah so we qualified for the Olympics in um in late 2019 and you know, like everything's on the up, like and and just to give people, I guess, context of softball. Um, so for people who don't know, softball has been in the Olympics since nineteen ninety seven. Is that correct? Atlanta ninety six ninety six. Sorry, and then it got voted out of the Rio Olympics um, or London twenty twelve. Yeah. So after Beijing Olympics, it was yep. voted out um, for yeah. BMX and. Golf. Yeah, I can't remember, maybe, perhaps, yeah. Yes, and so that's uh, yeah, still so something everyone gets really frustrated about because they're not amateur sports if you're making money off it, so golf should – anyway, <laughs> that's my personal opinion. Side topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, you know, it goes from being an incredibly huge participated sport in Australia and a participated sport in so many countries around the world to – completely sort of on the downhill in I'd say in our country and so you guys are sort of fighting a war because you're going against the fact that there is no grassroots softball coming through and you're trying to grind it out to show people that hey we we're still one of the best countries in the world for softball and it's such a huge sport in America it's a division one NCAA you know college sport um, America and Japan just absolutely dominate the scene with all their leagues and their their funding and money thrown at it. And here you guys are over here requalifying, uh, being a country that we've medaled every single Olympics. Um, I think that in itself just shows the resilience of all of you and all the girls who have just stuck with it when, because everything's really against you. Yeah, the chips are against us. Like. We, after it got, got voted out out of Beijing in 08, we uh, never really gave up the, the chant, well, the, the idea that softball was never going to come back into the Olympic program. Um, there was always some, some hope being held out. So for all the, um, the girls that stuck around, it's just a real credit to, to all those girls who, you know, it was what 13 years in the making yeah like I waited 13 years to to go to an Olympics if I'm being truly honest truly yeah. honest yeah so um it was it was massive it was massive for for softball to get back to the games and um yeah so dealing yeah, like after we qualified in 2019 and then you know we've got a global pandemic <laughs> how great you know that so you're ready to one, go one everything's prepped other. 2019 you know about to go to the olympics in 2020 tokyo and bang yeah so we get back from china we're on this absolute high and um you know 2020 rolls around woo, and um <laughs> and then yeah, we're, we COVID-19, you know, comes around and we're in a global pandemic. So I think um, after they announced that the Olympics was going to be postponed, it was it was like, you know, uh, that roller coaster was mm. going downhill. 
you know, but we knew that it was going to come back up. Um, so I guess for me, in the back of my mind, I always knew that I was probably going to retire or be, or finish up even um, after, after 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they, um, you know, that, that was, I, you know, I'm pretty rigid with how I plan things and how I see <laughs> things in the future. And yes. Yeah. So that w- it was just about changing the goalposts for me and resetting my goal and, um, you know, resetting and reaffirming to myself that I could do this still, like that my body can hold out for another you know, year. I've, I've battled a lot of injuries with my, with my knees. They've held me back a lot in the last couple of years of my career. Um, so I just really had to make sure that my body was going to last. Yeah. Um, so then my, um, you know, earlier in 2020, mum was starting to get quite bad um, with her sickness and her illness. Um, so, yeah, the Olympics was postponed. Mum, I'm dealing with mum being extremely sick. And being in Perth, um, you're you still know, in I'm Perth at this point. Or no, did no, you come I'm, back I'm to in, Queensland. I'm in Queensland yep. at this point, um, and you know, I'm getting phone calls from from my brother telling me that you know mum's, you know, just her condition is deteriorating, yep. and um, by this stage, um, you know, mum, she yeah she. She was kind of wasting away a little yeah. bit and getting really, really sick and ending up in hospital and out of hospital. Um, so, yeah, I, that, I made the decision um, in about September of 2020 to, to go back and be with mum. And at that stage, I didn't know if mum, you know, like, I guess I hadn't processed whether you know, or not she was, I didn't think she was going to pass away. Like, it, you, it's never really easy to come to terms with that now that I'm reflecting upon it I honestly don't think I I don't know how I don't know how a human could like I totally get it yeah that you couldn't have come to terms with that because who who can god you don't know until you're in it hey (laughs) yeah it's one of those things but um and you're trying to deal with that you're trying to be the you know your mum's your priority and then you've got your like it's olympics like yeah, That's like it was really, it was really. Um, I d- looking back, I don't know how I actually did it, but yeah. I just did it. Um, so I'm, you know, I had to get a um, a because of COVID and everything. Going back to Perth, I had to get a, um, a government permission to go back and fly in, and I had to isolate. Um, for 14 days at mum's house and at this stage mum was already in hospital so um, I couldn't go in and see her and you know I was so worried that she was going to pass away in that time and or what you know what was what was going to happen I just didn't know so I was living in this kind of state of uncertainty uncertainty like it was just so anxiety building um and you know I'm trying to maintain my my fitness and maintain you know my everything to do with my training just went out the window um but I didn't care because I was so you know family is everything to me and I just wanted to do everything I could for mum so I ended up getting out of like my 14 day you know, home quarantine finished and um, by that stage mum had gone into palliative care. So, um, yeah, she hung on for quite a while. So I was, you know, I got to Perth in um, in late September and mum, you know, eventually she, um, she couldn't hang on anymore and she passed away um, in early December. So I got to spend you know, a good three months by mum's side and, um, yeah, it was it was a really cathartic kind of experience but it was also very, very 
you know, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone to go through that. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's an experience that, um, you know, if I, anyone can take anything away from that, I think it's just being able to let your guard down and, and feel everything can, and because um, you're going to feel so many different emotions and you're going to, you're going to go around and around in circles and, but you've just got to talk to people. You've got to um, let people know how you're going. Like so many people got in, in contact with me because obviously they were worried and, you know, you just got to keep the communication lines open with everyone and mm. let everyone know that you're okay. Because um, co- coping, I, coping in itself is just such a, a skill Oh, it's a skill within itself. Like, you know, if you don't know how to cope, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's just being able to have that self-talk and try and talk yourself through things. Um, I remember while I was over in Perth, I did a lot of journaling, and I wrote. I did like I got really creative. It was quite weird. Like I wrote poems and. How cool. Um. Yeah, I got really reflective and I just wrote down my thoughts and my feelings um, as well as, you know, I talked to a few people as well. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I, the, gr- the grieving process, it's, you know, like, it's funny, like you grieve and everyone grieves in different ways, um, you know, Showing emotion is okay. I think it's all yeah. right to show emotion and be vulnerable. Um, it's interesting when um, just relating to what you're speaking about, I'm reading a book. I, I feel we're lucky as females because you grow up with the opportunity to be able to share how you feel and that comes naturally to us as hard as it is. We're much better at being able to describe and explain what we feel and how we feel and why we feel a certain way. I'm reading this book at the moment called The Mask You Live In or The Man of Masculinity and it talks about how they males um, put, because they're the biggest shame trigger for them is not to be perceived as weak, they put on these masks of how they need to perform and there's over like nine different masks based on this research that men put on just to stop them from demonstrating their vulnerabilities and showing who they really are because they struggle to describe and identify emotions and feelings they everything's you know with a body armor of defense mechanisms and these masks put on to perform and be this this person of no emotion whether it's um, through aggressive behavior or athletic behavior or uh, humorous behavior but there's always a reflect uh, a deflection and I feel like with us, just sort of what you're saying, I'm a little bit off topic, but, um, no, it's okay. you know, I just, I totally understand where you're coming from. And I guess we are, we are lucky, aren't we, with it? one of our coping mechanisms is we are perceived as normal for sharing how we are going and how we feel. Yeah, well, a lot of, um, a lot of people do struggle with actually being themselves or allowing people to see who they really are. And, um, yeah, I, I totally, me as a person, um, I think I've always been open to sharing my thoughts, but like only with people that I trust. Um, but I think I realise now that it's really important to share experiences for other people to try and relate and understand and where people are coming from. Yeah, definitely. There's so many different perspectives out there on on life and, you know, success and how do I be good at this or... Definitely. You know, who is it that I actually really want to be? Um, so I think it's just about being comfortable in your own skin. Definitely. So, yeah, I guess from there, you got to go to the Olympics. <laughs> like, I'm dying to hear about this because I, I saw the photos and not only your photos, but obviously I was following like rugby and rugby sevens and I'm just like so 
in awe of the opportunity to go and just even though with COVID and obviously everyone talks about how the atmosphere is a bit of a game changer and what it could have done, it still looked absolutely spectacular. Oh, it was so cool. Like, um, yeah, like you're playing at the biggest sports event in the world. Well, that's how I perceive it. Definitely. Yeah, you the amount of pride, the amount of uh, honour that you feel mm. being a part of something that everyone gets to share an experience with you. I mean, completely different with COVID and everything, like no crowds. Um, that was definitely different. Uh, Energy-wise, like we're used to that, the energy of the crowd. Yeah, and definitely. The noise and the, come on, like, yeah. You know, yeah, the horns, the music, the craziness. Yeah. Um, that was probably weird, not having that there. But, yeah, just being able to have that opportunity um, finally to to represent Australia and Olympics, is this, it was just an absolute honour um, and a humbling, grounding experience for me. Um, just to share that, just to, you know, so much has gone into that for me. Like, mm. it's... The pinnacle of it was the pinnacle of my career, um, you know. And I've played at a at five world championships. I've played over 150 games for Australia, um, but playing in an Olympics was just something else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it looked it looked incredible, uh, and the people that you were sort of rubbing shoulders with, you know, those other high performers around you. Like what an absolute vibe. <laughs> Such a vibe. Keyword there, vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there were some really cool people that I that I got to be around. Um, yeah, you kind of feel like a big, massive – well, it's all, and obviously a big contingent of people, but you're all there for the same reason. You're all you're – all, especially during this Olympics, like we've all had to change our goalposts. Mm-hmm. Everyone would have for sure. Yeah, like, definitely. With it being postponed and the amount of um, extra work that everyone would have had to have put in to get themselves ready for this games, like that was a feeling that you could feel without even like verbalising it or knowing it. You just knew um yeah so it was pretty special to to feel that and to just be around some really cool athletes that just are amazing at what they do yeah like high performing people definitely yeah so when you got there um first sport to go ahead was it softball yeah we were we kicked off the olympics um against japan yep we were also the first Olympic squad in Japan. So we arrived June 1st uh, and, yeah, so we were there for for a long time. Were you in – so were you in the um, Olympic camp when you guys were doing your pre-competition phase? Yeah. Right. We got to Oda City, which was the city that was taking care of us. On June 1st and we left Ota City July 17th to go into Tokyo, into the village. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, our squad was 23 and then uh, the Olympic team was chosen and 15 were chosen with three reserves. So, it was a hard environment. Uh, We weren't you know, allowed to go anywhere but the field, stay at the hotel. It was very challenging because, you, you you know, you're used to going out and um, – What do you think mentally f- you struggle – sorry, I just cut you off again. No, you're good. But, um, just yell at me next time if I do that. <laughs> I apologise. 
<laughs> this whole podcasting thing, I haven't got it down to scratch yet. I can't like gauge the pause and the finish. So I'm you like, probably can't see my mouth behind yeah. this massive microphone. <laughs> so I'll just start talking. But um, what would you say, say was like the biggest mental sort of barrier being over there? Because that's a long time. Like you're over there for – or you're away from home – um, from your support network, from everything that you know to be your safe space or the space that makes you feel, you know, sort of gives you that little bit of self-belief because, you know, you got you go to people around you. Um, what would you say was the biggest, like, mental barrier when you sort of got over there and had, had to deal with, like, that isolation and that disconnection? It was probably that. You were just around the same people the whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and I'm mates with everyone on the team. Um, but, yeah, there was no escape uh, to do other things. Like we've all been over to Japan before as a squad or a team and, you know, you can leave the hotel and go and grab a coffee and just do other things outside of softball, but it was all just softball. Yeah. So there was no real... Unless, you know, we had days off uh, where we could do whatever we wanted, but you're confined to a, a level of a hotel. So um, they did out, like it, with that said, like they, they had stuff available for us to do. Like we had recreational things like ping pong and, um, you know, Nintendo Switch. And, but that stuff, it got a little bit old pretty quickly. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, just I think getting in your own head um, and not having not having space. So, yeah, it was that was hard to, to get used to because you were kind of just in it the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess also because um, – from what I've read, and this may not be true, but from research, what I've read is that trust is formed through the everything but the, the thing itself. So trust and culture building is formed through the interpersonal uh, relational conversations you have outside of the space that you are moving in or working in as a group. And, you know... Um, like a key thing is, you know, when you're sitting and waiting before you go in inside to do something or you're outside, it's like, you know, how's, you know, how's your dad? I heard he's in hospital or, you know, those t- sort mm. of conversations are the conversations that build those deep, meaningful relationships. Yes. And to not be able to sort of escape the the task at hand because there was no room for you to move outside of that space. That would have been really difficult. That, yeah, it was. It, that's That was the challenge. For me, it was the most challenging part. And I've been on a lot of tours. Like I'm, you know, I'm well versed in being away from home and being in those type of environments. But it was not, it was a completely different um, feel for me because of the fact that we were just hyper-focused on you know, the one thing for the whole time that was, it felt like no escape. Um, so it was hard to switch off. Like I felt like I was struggling to switch off mentally. I was always on. And so I ended up just overthinking everything. Yeah. <laughs> Which is opposite to your, I guess, your personality when you're playing. You're known as a person who, you know, you don't overthink everything. You're so you just play the game the way it's meant to be played, and that's the beauty of the player that you are. Yeah. So, I it, yeah. Oh I, my gosh! I, it's interesting what can what environments can or how environments can affect people. Yeah. Um, for me, it affected me in a in a more of a a negative way, I guess. Um, but such a hard thing to prepare for and try and envision Mm, definitely you never know you learn through experience right so um 
if I was continuing on with my career, I would use that experience as something to learn from and, and get better at. Um, but I guess now it's it's something that will always kind of stick with me because I'm done with my playing career. But, you know. You say that so easily. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm like, I'm out, guys. Like, I'm out. No, like I, you know, it's my time. I yeah, that's I'm fair. ready to to go on, and that next chapter for me is really exciting. Definitely, um, but I've got so much cool stuff to look back on from my playing career, and um, yeah, I'm so grateful for everything that softball has afforded me. I've had to, you know, I've had some amazing experiences where I've travelled the world, met some awesome people yeah uh you know won some world championship medals just made lifelong friends um so i'm i'm always going to be grateful for what softball has and baseball has yeah. has um afforded me so i guess just to finish us off i've got some question cards here i'm just going to ask you two of them because okay. Um, I think uh, when I first started podcasting, Glenn asked me a few of these questions and they definitely sort of give you a lot to think about. But one of the first ones, are you ready? One of the first ones is, what are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? Failure. I, nah, I'm not afraid of it, but it's something that I'd, I guess I, in my life, I've, with sport, I haven't failed in terms of getting to that next level. Yeah, I've always made teams. I've always, like, been good enough to play at the highest level. So, um, yeah, like. Do you think failure – do you mean like failure in, in other areas of your life because sports sort of come so naturally and things have sort of worked out well? Yeah, like I, I'm afraid of – I'm afraid of not um, like getting better at something or, you know, progressing. I'm afraid of that. Um, so maybe I'm afraid of myself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Or like that dealing with rejection. I I would I I've struggled with failure, especially in new spaces. Yeah. That uncertain feeling. Yeah, probably yeah, afraid of that type of failure in terms of not growing in that space or mm. not being good at something. That's a really good answer. I like that one. I think I, I resonate with that with that one as well. Okay, last one. Are you ready? What is one quality you love about yourself? I put other people first. A lot of the time, yeah. Most of the time. Um, <laughs> I thought you were about to go all the time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I can be too nice. Yeah. Though, yeah. We have had this conversation before. Yeah. <laughs> boundaries, boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for sharing. No, your I appreciate story. it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. You probably don't realize, but I think the adversity that you have overcome, and we obviously with your mum passing, and and also you know Olympics six months later you're already prepping to go away and just dealing with that headspace and some of the mechanisms you've had to sort of use to help cope and moving forward like a huge hats off to you and the type of person you are and your character and if you ever want to come back on (laughs) for sure (laughs) yeah come back on um hopefully I can get a few other girls um it'd be cool to get Stace and some of the other girls in and just have some really great chats about some of their sort of barriers and obstacles and what you've all dealt with but yeah I just really appreciate your time so thank you no worries Morgs thanks for having me on I'll I'll definitely come back amazing 
You've been listening to the Challenge Her podcast with Morgan Tioka. Follow, rate and share to help empower and educate young women.